was thrilled to be here at Glad Tidings. Thank you so much, Pastor Vincent and Pastor Quan Ming and the entire staff. You have made us feel so well. Welcome. So, and I liked what uh, Karen said to everyone in the first service. Welcome home. This is your home. Home is, home is where the heart is. So, to all of you today, I know I'm new to you, but this church is not, so welcome home. Today is the reality. Tomorrow we make plans for, and rightly so, but tomorrow is not a reality yet. It's only what you do with your life today that counts. Uh, yesterday is history. You can't repeat it. You can't go change it. It's just done. But yesterday, we had some good memories because we trained 480 people, and some of them today are sporting a very fashionable blue wristband. If you have this blue wristband, wave it at me. Wave your arms. you got this blue wristband on you this morning. Okay, yeah, that's good. We love it. It's, uh, it means uh, they're going to try to share their faith every day for 21 days and let it become a new normal, a new habit in their lives. I told the ladies, I said, that gold plastic wristband is uh, worth far much more than your gold jewelry because gold jewelry is worthless in heaven. In fact, it's so worthless that we use it for the asphalt. But souls is the only thing you can bring to heaven, and that blue bracelet is, represents souls. Uh, before I speak to you today, is it okay if I do a song for you? Is that okay? I think you guys like music. Um, when, when the disciples came to Jesus, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And teach us to pray. And, and so you know what Jesus taught them. You know, you've, you've said it many times, it's the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will, everybody say thy will. will. Not my will, thy will be done. That's really the the source of, of success in our life is getting out of the way and let God do what he wants to do in our lives. So Lord, let, let this be your prayer. you 
That's the goal every day because uh, I have this thing in my life called a civil war. I think you do too. Paul described it. He said, uh, the things I really want to do for God, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Every one of us has a struggle. It's a tension. It's a civil war inside us between our flesh and our spirit. And that's because we live in a fallen world. That's because you don't live in heaven. How many knew that? You're well aware this is not heaven, right? But God gives us power to live above this tension. He gives you and I power today. And I want to talk to you about five, what I call turbo boosts, things that just gave me extra power when I realized again and again what they are, what great gifts they are from God. And, and, and they're available for you as well. And you may want to write these things down because these things have changed my life. Uh, what I realized a long ago is that I'm not near as good as I like to think I am. I remember years ago, I was about 23 years old, I walked into a bank and I'm filling out my deposit slip on one of these counters and all of a sudden I heard the words you never ever want to hear in a bank. Here's what I heard. All right, everybody stick your hands up in the air. And I looked up, and there at the front door were about five men clothed with black and black masks with very long rifles. And suddenly, they had my attention. And so what did I do? I stuck my hands up in the air. And they said, nobody move. And they started jumping from teller to teller. And the guy said, come on, hurry, 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 get the money, get the money. And the guy that was leading the whole thing, he was starting to get nervous. But in my mind, you know, I, I don't know how it is for you, but us guys, sometimes we think like we are the supermen, you know. If, if, a, if a trouble comes, we're Spider-Man, we're Incredible Hulk, we're Batman, we're Superman, all in combined in one. We will handle it. Thank you, ladies. But you know what? That thought evaporated from my mind really quickly when he said hands up. 
And he said, don't move. And I found myself noticing that there was a pillar just to my right that if I just scooted over just a little at a time, that maybe I could be, hide myself behind this pillar in case that gun discharged. The, the, the thought that I could help myself at that moment or help anybody else was quickly gone. And if you live life long enough, you'll find that there are circumstances that are going to come into your life that you do not have a clue how to handle it. And that's why one of the reasons we need the Lord. And so these five things have helped me become a stronger disciple of Jesus Christ. These five things have changed me completely. And so I want to quickly go over them. Number one, the first thing is common to most of you today, and that's salvation. Salvation changed the game completely. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. The old is gone, everything is new. I mean, this was a game changer. Everything changed when Christ came in my life. And I love when I get to pray with other people to receive Christ because I see the same thing happen. I was, I was riding with an Uber taxi driver a few months ago, and I'm sharing my one-minute witness with him, my testimony. And, and uh, he says, well, I'm not really into religion. He said, I'm, I'm more a naturalist, more humanist, uh, all this, and don't really believe in heaven and stuff like that. I said, okay. Well, can I tell you the best thing in my life? He said, sure. So I shared my testimony. And then I took it further. I said, now, how about you? Do you think you're going to heaven someday? Well, he says, I'm not really sure. Now, he had just told me five minutes earlier he didn't believe in heaven, but now he's not sure. You see, when you confront people, when you start talking heart to heart, they start really opening up instead of parroting something that somebody else told them. And I shared, can I tell you how the Bible says you can know for sure you're going to heaven? He says, sure. And so I did the ABCs. A is I admit I'm a sinner. B, I believe that Jesus died for me and rose again. And C, I confess my sins and ask him to be the Lord, the leader, the boss of my life. I said, does that make sense to you? He said, well, yeah, I never heard it quite like that. I said, what would stop you from giving your life to Jesus today? He said, well, nothing. I said, could I pray for you and when we get to our destination, could I pray for you to give your life to Jesus? He said, yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. We drove up into my driveway, and we stopped, and I said, you still want to pray? He said, yeah. So we prayed a sinner's prayer. He gave his life to Christ, the ABCs. I admit I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died and rose again. I confess my sins. I ask you to be my Lord, my leader. And, and, and whenever I pray for people, I like to ask two questions. Number one, did you mean that from your heart? He said, yeah, I did. What happened? And I'll never forget his response. He said, I felt like something lifted off of me. <laughs> Isn't that a wonderful response? Because that's what happened. The pain and sin and guilt lifted off of him. It was a supernatural experience. I couldn't manufacture it. This was not the pow power of positive thinking. This was the Holy Spirit working in his life. That's what the Bible says. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. He knew immediately something changed inside of him. Salvation is the biggest miracle ever in the entire world. Nothing comes close. But you know what I found? 
I found that as I went through my journey of being a Christian that salvation is not just a one-time experience that happened for me when I was 12 years old. It is a process. It's a journey. I was saved. I am being saved today. And I will be saved by God's grace tomorrow. That the whole life is a salvation. And so I don't just say, oh, yeah, that's old school salvation. No, no, no. I, I embrace the cross today. The more I embrace the cross today, the stronger I get in Christ. If you don't, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, maybe, you see, there's a lot of people that attend church. But I tell you what, I could sleep in my garage. It doesn't make me a car. Just because you go to church doesn't mean your heart changes. People say, well, I'm, I'm you know, I ask them about their faith. And, well, I, I don't go to church, or I go to this, thus and thus church. I said, I didn't ask you about your church. I asked you about your faith. Have you really given your life to Jesus? And uh, there's quite possibly people that attend this church that you're in the process of even deciding. And, and I'm so glad you're here. I'm so, I think this is a safe place to, to explore a, a journey with Jesus. But at some point, you're going to have to make a choice. What do I want to do with this God who loves me so much? Do I just want to know about him, or do I want to know him personally? And the way to know him personally is to invite him to be the leader of your life. And it will be, hands down, the greatest choice you've ever made in your life. Salvation. It's changed me. Number two, the second thing that has really impacted my life as a Christian, caused me to grow very strong and powerful in my faith, is water baptism. I was also 12 years old. I remember having this big black choir robe, adult choir robe on this 12-year-old kid, and we walked into this baptismal tank, and the, and the waters were so cold, and it just sort of spreads up you as it absorbs into this cotton uh, choir robe, and, and your whole body is freezing. But I remember it because it was a step of faith. It, I, I, re, I understood what it meant. You go under the water. It symbolizes this, the death of Tom Eli. The old Tom Eli, that he was in charge of his life. That's gone. I'm rising up now to declare publicly that Jesus is my leader. It doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect from here on, but it's an allegiance switch. And I'm, I'm, I'm declaring it publicly. He is my leader. The Bible says in Romans 6, Therefore we are buried with him through baptism into death, that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And what I found is, is that that also is not just an event when I was 12. This is a continual process. I was dead, now I'm alive. I'm continually dying to myself. I'm continually invited to embrace the cross. How many times have you struggled with the same temptation over and over and over again? That's why you need to die daily, die daily, because your flesh rises up every day. You live in a fallen world. You, you live in a conflicted world. That there's good and evil. There's a spiritual battle going on in this world. And you and I are a part of it. But God has given us his spirit and given us the salvation that we can celebrate. Uh, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. It, it doesn't mean that 
I'm a co-redeemer or anything like that. It just means that Paul pictures that it's almost like Jesus on one side of the cross and Paul's on the other. I'm crucified with Christ. I'm going to jump up there on that cross willingly with him. Not that I pay for the sins, but I'm, I'm dead to Paul. I'm dead to Tom. And I die daily. And, and Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives. It's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Here's the bottom line. I cannot defeat my temptations alone. I cannot defeat my sin alone, my pride, my greed, my lust, my jealousy. My, I, I can't deal with those things alone. I'm not, I'm not the Superman. I need to die to that Superman. I need to die to my pride. One, I think it was Spurgeon that said, there is, it was really only one sin in the world, and it's pride. When you think of it, all the other sins come from an attitude of pride. It's all about me. It's all about satisfying, gratifying me. And so this water baptism changes me on the inside. I'm, I'm supposed to be like dead men walking. Have you ever attended a funeral and you see the casket up front? And as you walk by the casket, the guy sits up and says, hey, hey, you owe me some money. Have you forgotten that? Or he, he sits up and says, you know, I've never forgiven you for that offense that you gave to me. Of course not. Dead men don't take offense. And Christ has called you and I to be dead men walking. Dead to self, alive to Christ. Vengeance, no, that's, not, that's not mine. That's not my department. God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Now, we hope that they'll repent so they don't have to be judged by God. The mercy doors are still open. I remember we came to a, a church, and we were, we were praying for the sick at the end, and there was a line of people, and we came to this one guy, and he, he couldn't lift his arm any higher than this. And so... We're going to pray for this guy. And the pastor that's with me says, wait a minute. I have a word of knowledge for this guy. He said, you remember that doctor that botched that surgery on you a couple years ago? He says, yeah. He said he hold, held up his hand and he said he, he mistakenly had to cut off his fourth finger. And he held up his hand. There was, there was no fourth finger. And the pastor said, have you forgiven that doctor for that? He said, no, I haven't. Would you like to? I said, yes, I would. So we prayed a simple prayer of forgiveness. You see, serving God means letting go of grudges. Letting go. Dead men don't hold grudges. Dead men don't have blacklists of who I like and who I don't like. So we prayed, and God forgave him, and then we prayed for his shoulder. When we were done, I said, okay, lift up your arm. And to his amazement, his arm shot all the way up. God had healed him. Sometimes our offenses keep us from the good things God has for us. We get stuck in a rut that we never were meant to live there. But we all have to face it. That's why I need to die to myself every day. That's what water baptism is all about. The third thing that changed my life was when I was 14 years old. It's called the Holy Spirit baptism. I was 14, and our Assembly of God pastor brought a Lutheran charismatic man no offense. <coughs> this man was not a very handsome man. Um, I don't, have you ever heard of Ichabod Crane? 
I, I don't know, it just, he just reminded me of, of this guy. He was, he was actually sort of ugly. But God uses ugly people because God, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. God is not impressed with your or our outward appearance. God looks on the heart. Is that right? Now, we spend all of our time dolling up the outward appearance, but God says, I don't really care. I care about the heart. And this guy came in, and he talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. He was speaking to our youth group of about 30 kids, and I, he said, how many want everything the Holy Spirit has? How many want the gifts of the Spirit to be full of the Holy Spirit? And I, I shot my hand up. Absolutely. I thought every kid would raise their hand. Why wouldn't you? If you're a sensible Christian and you're in love with Jesus, why wouldn't you want everything he has? So I shot my hand up, and I looked around thinking all the other hands would be up. And to my dismay, it was just me and a, and a 15-year-old girl. But everyone else, no. I think sometimes we say no to God's goodness because we're afraid. But there's no fear in love. Just know that God loves you. And whenever he draws you into a step of faith, it's, not, it's never to harm you. Don't be afraid of steps of faith. God has good things for you, but he's always waiting for you to draw near to him. And when you draw near to him, he draws near to you. That's just how it works. Don't be afraid of surrendering to Christ. Don't be afraid of letting go of stuff that you think you need to hang on to. And above all, don't worry about what other people think. Be concerned of what God thinks. And so the pastor, wisely, he took the two of us into his study, and, and we began to pray, fill us with the Holy Spirit. I was 14 years old, and it was wonderful because I had my first vision ever. I, I, and it was so cool, and I didn't know I would expect that or anything, but as I'm praying, I got my eyes closed and sort of confused as to what's going to even happen, what am I even asking for, and what's going to happen, and suddenly I, I see blue sky. As my eyes are closed, I see blue sky, sunny day, with some white clouds and three empty crosses, and I began to speak in a brand new language, and it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. You see, when you pray in an unknown tongue, you actually build up yourself. It's one of God's ways to keep us strong in Him, is this prayer language. You, you speak the wonders of God. I was in Florida, which is a southern U.S. state, uh, about a year ago. Uh, we were visiting my wife's sister, and, and, I, and they live by the ocean, so I went out early in the morning to watch the sunrise. And watching the sunrise over the ocean is magnificent. It's, it's like magical. It's just wonderful to watch the sun rays just beam across the ocean, and it's great. So I saw that. Now I'm just walking along a sidewalk parallel to the ocean, and I come across the girl. She's got her phone like this, and she's, the ocean is behind her, and she's filming something, and she's talking into her phone. And so as I come up to her, I say, oh, I don't want to interrupt her, so I just, I just walk quietly by but I heard her say one complete sentence. Nothing less, nothing more. I heard this one sentence. It said, she said this. And we must continually pray in the Spirit. 
I thought, what are the odds of that? I'm from northern United States. For that moment, I'm in southern United States. I'm, I came out to see the sunrise. I have to walk by her at that exact moment, and I hear this one complete sentence. Surely, God, you're talking to me. And I went back to try to find her, to, to congratulate her, tell her, and I couldn't find her, so maybe it was an angel. I don't know, but God spoke to me. He said, Tom, you must continually pray in the Spirit. There is a spiritual warfare that goes on that tries to rob you of your faith. But the Bible says when you pray in the Spirit, you build yourself up in the most holy faith. So the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy and rob your faith, but praying in the Spirit, you don't have to wait till next Sunday. You can pray in the Spirit every day. And you can build up yourself in your most holy faith. And it works. It works. And God wants to use you by his Holy Spirit. Paul said in Ephesians 5, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. It literally means a continual process. Now, if this is your life, and it says be filled with the Spirit, it literally means be being filled. Again, a not a one-time experience when I'm 14, but a continual daily process. So let me ask you a question. If, if I, oops. If I, if, if, is this full right here? Is that full? Is this full? Is this full? And what happens if you keep filling? That's what happened yesterday here. It overflowed because the first topic we did yesterday was compassion. Compassion is love. Compassion has to fill your heart so much. You have to be filled with the spirit of compassion. And when you have compassion, when you're filled and overflow, guess what? You don't want to stay inside church anymore. You want to take the gospel outside the church. But that has to be a continual filling. That's one of the reasons you need to be filled with the spirit. Because naturally, we lose, we leak. We leak compassion because we are, we are, we are fallen people. We're selfish people by nature. We live in a fallen world. What about me? What's in it for me? But Jesus said, no, plug that hole and instead be filled with compassion and be filled every day and be filled so full so it wasn't just a one-time experience you had years ago, but you are continually being filled with the Spirit, the Spirit of love and joy and peace and long-suffering and patience, on and on. So you have a desire to touch the people around you. I need the Holy Spirit every day. The fourth thing that's really changed my life, that's really caused me to grow in my relationship with Christ, is my personal devotions. I was about 23 years old. I was a young associate pastor at a church. It was about 70 college kids. We started a church called Jesus People Church. It was back, for those of you that are a little older, you maybe remember the Jesus People movement around the world. God was touching college kids. It was a wonderful thing. We started with 70 kids. In 12 years, it grew to about 3,000. And it was wonderful. And I was an associate pastor in charge of music. And my buddy and I, who was over small groups, we said, I tell you what, let's go down in the basement, and we've we got to get some exercise. We're, we're not as muscular as we need to be. Let's lift some weights. And so we're lifting some barbells, okay, up and down, up and down. And uh, one of those trips, I felt something twitch in my back. And uh, he said, come on, Tom, just work through the pain, work through the pain. I said, no, 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 this is really hurt. Something is wrong. I'm done. And I went home, 
And I got new empathy for people with back pain because back pain affects your whole life. It's miserable. And I could only find one comfortable position, and that is when I knelt by my bed like this. I wasn't praying. I was just bending. And because when I bent, it felt relief. And you know, God will meet you in the strangest places. And I'm bending, and God starts talking to me. He says, Tom, it's nice to hear your prayers again. So I'm praying, oh, God, help me. Oh, God, help me. He says, Tom, don't you think it's a strange thing that you're an associate pastor and you don't have a disciplined prayer life? Do you think something's a little amiss there? Wow, just my eyes opened. I thought, wow, you're right, God. I mean, if I'm a leader, I should be the example, shouldn't I? I guess so. And, and, you know, I don't know how it is with you, but when you say God spoke to me, this thought came into my head. And, and, and uh, God said, I tell you what, I'll make a deal with you, Tom. I'll heal your back in proportion to the time you spend on your knees. I said, deal. And 30 days later, I had a disciplined prayer life, and it healed back. Your time with God is the most important part of your day. If you're too busy, then you're too busy. You need to get up earlier or cut something out, but stop eliminating your spiritual nutrition. If you wait for your spiritual food to happen for an hour and a half on Sunday morning, you will never become what God's called you to be. You must grow up. You must become an adult spiritually. You must feed, you learn to feed yourself. <laughs> Isn't that the whole goal of parents, teaching their kids to feed themselves? You must learn to dig into the Word of God. You must learn to read it slowly and meditate and, and say, God, talk to me and underline the things that God's really talking to you about. I love one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible is Psalm 119. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. But it's all about how David loves, loves, loves the Word of God. Your, world, your word is more precious than gold. And so my time with God became foundational for me. But little did I know, about 20-some years ago in 1996, God was going to challenge me to another level of prayer that was going to help birth what I'm doing now. And so... I was attending a big clergy conference. We had something in America called Promise Keepers. I don't know if you've heard of it or not, but it was big stadium events. 50,000 men would gather together, and the men worshiping the Lord, and teachers, and praising. It was just awesome. And, the, and I was pastoring two campuses at that time, and, and uh, my men said, Pastor, you got to go to this clergy conference coming up, Atlanta, Georgia, 40,000 pastors and leaders. It was supposed to be the largest gathering of clergy ever in civilization. And uh, I went with my associate pastor, and he was a little more streetwise than me. He says, Tom, this is what you do when you're late, because we were late coming, and the, the event had already started, the place was full. He said, this is what you do when you're late, Tom. You just walk right down towards the front. And if you walk right towards the front, you'll always find a couple empty seats. Well, I didn't know that actually God was using him to lead me to sit right in front of, of a key guy. And so we came, and it sat down, and I sat there. It was great, and enjoyed it. 
Well, one of the guys, one of the speakers said, now stand up and turn around and tell the person behind you how you came to know Christ. So I turned around and I met this pastor, Emilio, from Asuncion, Paraguay, South America. And what he was going to say was going to facilitate God speaking to my heart. And he said, Tom, I, uh, before I got saved, I was training six hours a day to be part of the Paraguayan Olympic team. And then I got saved, and God said, give yourself to prayer with the same intensity as you did in training for the Olympic team. He said, we started a little Assembly of God church in my home. We had 10 people in my house for the first service. We had a broken accordion and a tattered tambourine. But I gave myself to prayer. He says, now, years later, we're at this big stadium in Atlanta, Georgia. We're looking for structural ideas for our new church, which is running 6,000 now. And, and I talked to one, one of our, our trainers was in Paraguay last week, and he talked to Emilio. And they have a church now that seats 17,000. And God spoke to my heart at that moment when I was in Atlanta 20 years ago. Not that so much prayer equals so many numbers, not, not that. But God said, Tom, I want you to go home and double your prayer time. Seek my face and not my hand. You know the difference, don't you? Do you remember when your kids were little? They're always pulling on your pant leg, Daddy, 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 give me, give me, give me, help me, help me. They always need something, right? Even as my kids grew older into adults, I would get unexpected but pleasant phone calls. Oh, Dad, how are you doing today? Oh, it's so nice. I'm thinking, why are you calling? You don't call me usually. Oh, it's just so nice just calling to say hi, Dad. Sure enough, by the end of that call, oh, by the way, Dad, do you think you could help me with... I think sometimes we treat God like that. Oh, God, I know I haven't talked to you for a while. How you doing, God? It's so nice to see you again, talk to you. Hey, God, I got a little problem here. Do you think you could help me? See, we come to God when we need something, but that's different. That's seeking his hand. Seeking his face is saying, I, I didn't come to ask for anything. You've already done enough. Calvary is enough. The empty tomb is enough. I didn't come to ask anything. I just want to say, God, what can I do for you? God, I just came to worship you, to love you. And so for one month, I, I decided to double my prayer time. And, and, and I'm pastoring two campuses, so there's a lot of needs, but I decided if, if I can try not to ask God for anything specific for one month, I'm just going to be a worshiper. And sure enough, a month later, in the fourth week, God did a miracle. Uh, two men. He brought two men into my life. One man from India said, come to India and do crusades. Another man showed up at my church on Sunday morning from Kenya, Africa. Never met the guy. Never met either of these guys. He said, come to Kenya. Both happened in the same week. And those were the two first countries we started traveling into. Now, by God's grace, we're in 32 countries. But it happened because of prayer. It happened because when you get close to God's face, you get close to his heart. And the Bible says, Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. He will give you the desires he planted there. doesn't mean if you, if you worship loud, uh, loudly, you're going to have a new Honda Accord in the parking ramp when you get out. It doesn't mean that, okay? It just means God has put certain desires in your heart. The way to get those desires is to delight in him because you aren't strong enough, smart enough, good-looking enough, or whatever you need to be to get those things. God wants to do it through you. 
And if you will just learn to be a worshiper, and I bless the Lord at all times, and if you get your daily devotions in line with God, he will change your life. The fifth thing and the last thing is the most recent thing for me. I only have one regret, and I wish it would have happened sooner. Twelve years ago, I was in a church like this at the altar, all alone, no one else in the church. I'm just praying with God. And God began to just talk to me. I mean, I use that term, talk to me loosely. I think you know what I mean. Just puts thoughts in your head. You start thinking, and you think, okay. And God says, Tom, you're doing a great job. We were doing huge crusades in India, and I would go there four times a year. And, and seeing a lot of people come to Christ and healed, and it's just a lot of fun. He said, Tom, I know something bothers you because you can have thousands of people, but there's still many more thousands in the town that are not coming to your crusade. Who's going to reach them, Tom? Because I love them too, and I, I died for them. And Tom, you can preach in the USA churches on Sunday morning, and they can be full. But the shopping malls are also full on Sunday morning, and they're not coming to your church. Never. Tom, who's going to reach them? Because I love them as much as I love you. Who's going to reach them, Tom? And I knew at that moment God was talking to me. You see, I humbly admit that I was not afraid to talk to and preach to thousands. I could preach loud and long to thousands. But I was very, very afraid to talk to one. Outside of my clergy role, it was very difficult. Oh, I could do it, but it was so uncomfortable. I did not have a good tool to share my faith. How do you go from talking about the weather to talking about Jesus? I, I just don't want to be weird. I just don't want to be in your face and people. I want to show respect to people. I know it's the goodness of God that draws people to repentance. I'm not going to get in their face. But there's got to be a way, Lord. You, you said if I'm full of the Holy Spirit, you said I'm supposed to be full of the Holy Spirit so I can be your witness, but I'm not witnessing. And, Lord, again, if anybody should be witnessing, it should be me. I'm the leader. I'm the evangelist. I'm the pastor. If I'm not doing it, who can do it? So, Lord, I said, start with me. That day was monumental in my life. It was 12 years ago. I, still, I said, God, no more excuses. Can you say that with me? You see, I was really good at, at giving God excuses. But God saw through my, my layer of, of excuses and he said, I want to use you, Tom, but you're going to have to grow further. You're going to have to figure out how to get past your fear. And my fears were way up here. I, I mean, you don't understand. It, it's quite a, a, a contrast because to preach in front of thousands of people, for most people that was scary. My first sermon was very scary. I almost ran across off the stage when I did my first sermon because I thought, who am I? These guys are expecting to hear something from God. I'm nothing. But I decided to run at my fears. And it helped me, I think, because my sermon topic was the fear of failure. So I, I didn't want to run off on that topic, you know. So I, I ran at my fears, and within 30 seconds, my fears were gone. And I realized... That boogeyman called fear, why did I let him intimidate me all these years? But yet when I come to share my faith, 
I have to have a tool. I have to have something, God. And if you will give me a tool that treats people with respect and is fruitful, I will do it. And that week, God developed that tool, that next week. But it happened because I came to a point and I said, no more excuses. Don't use someone else. Use me. Remember the story of Queen Esther? Called to go before the king uninvited, which could mean death. And yet the Jews were about to be annihilated. And Queen Esther was a Jew. And her uncle said, Queen Esther, wait a minute. If, who knows? You were called for such a time as this. And if you don't go and help rescue your Jewish people, God will raise up somebody else. Well, I didn't like that idea. I said, God, don't, don't use somebody else. Use me. I mean, use me. Use me. As a 12-year-old boy, I would go to sleep on my bunk bed, and I would listen to the gospel radio. At 10 o'clock at night, the, the radio station signed off every night, but they ended with the same song every night. It wasn't even my style of music, but the, the message touched me, and it said, uh, I wonder, have I done my best for Jesus when he has done so much for me? It wasn't condemning. It wasn't shaming. I, I just said, you know what? I love Jesus. I don't want to give him three-star evangelism. I want to give him five-star. I want to do my best. I want to be a good witness. I want to learn what I need to learn to be his witness. And so 12 years ago, I said, Lord, no more excuses. Use me. This week, I'm going to be your witness. And I don't have time to go into it all right now, but because of that decision 12 years ago, that is the reason that you and I are together this morning. If I said no to God 12 years ago, these opportunities would not be here. We would not be training in 32 countries. And I would still be hunkered down with my fear. And God said, Tom, your fears may be up here, but you do not have a fear problem. You have a compassion problem. If you walk home today and your house is burning and the flames are shooting out your windows and you hear your kids from inside the house screaming, Mommy and Daddy, help me, are you going to run back to church and call everybody and have a prayer meeting? Huh? No. You are going to run into the flames. Because love is ten times more powerful than fear. Jude 23 says, on some have compassion, pulling them out of the fire. Tom, you don't have a fear problem. You have a compassion problem. And here's what I found. My fears are up here. My compassion's down here. But as my compassion grew, and as I asked God, let me see what you see. Help me to see people through your eyes. Guess what? My fears started reducing. And then I remembered that scripture. Perfect love casts out fear. So if you're fearful of sharing your faith, join the club. That was me. And frankly, that's most pastors today. Most Christian leaders struggle with the same fear. But when you're full of compassion, compassion trumps fear. And so I want to close and tell you that God has good things for you. He has good things for you. I, I never thought 
that I, I, that I could know the joy of sharing my faith. Because when I share my faith, I get stronger. And you, you, God will surprise you. I went up to a McDonald's drive-up window last year or so, and, and I rolled down, I got my window down paying the cashier, but there's no one behind me, and the thought comes, share your faith with this, this cashier at the drive-up window. Okay, did my one-minute witness. She wants to get saved. So at the drive-up window, she prays to give her life to Jesus. There's no customers behind me. Why not? See, God wants to use you. He wants to surprise you, and you're going to grow so much closer to Jesus, and you're going to fall in love with him all the more when you start giving away what's inside of you. So I want to pray today as we close. I want to pray with people that would say, use me, God. Don't, don't find somebody else. Don't pass me by. Use me. I'm willing. I'm not trained yet, maybe. I still got my fears. That's okay. But I want, I want God to use me. If that's your heart, right now, just lift up your hand. Right now, say, I want God to use me. I want God to use me to share my faith, to influence my world. Raise your hand high right now. Don't hesitate. Just do it. If that's your heart, I want God to use me. Now, here's what I want you to do. Everyone stand to your feet. Because this is going to be a turning point for some of your lives right now. And if you meant that when you raised your hand, I want you right now to slip down and fill this altar right now. And we're going to pray for you. Because today is going to be a turning point. Do not wait. Run to the altar right now. Come. Use me. Don't use somebody else, God. Use me. I want your plan for my life. I want you. I'm available, Lord. I'm available. I might be scared. I don't know what it all entails, but God, I'm yours. Remember, you're the boss. You're the leader. I want, my mouth is your mouth, God. My feet are your feet. My time is your time. I want, I'm serious about this thing, God. I want you to use me for your glory. I want you to use me to love my world. To love my family, to love my neighbors, to love my workmates, to love the people I, I see every day. Because, Lord, you looked on the crowd and you were moved with compassion. So I want my life to be filled with compassion. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Fill me. I want you to put your hand on your heart right now. Put your hand on your heart. And right now, would you let God break your heart? Would you let God break your heart for what breaks His? Because Malaysia is only 8% at best born again. That means that 92% of Malaysians are lost. And you are the salt of the world. You are the light. Jesus is living in you. And He wants to shine out of you. If I was God, I wouldn't choose you. I wouldn't choose me. I would choose some, the angels or someone more dependable. But he didn't choose the angels. He chose you and I to be his, his ambassadors. He chose us because we are the trophies of his grace. We have the story to tell. Angels have no story of redemption to tell. But you and I have a story of forgiveness. 
God's goodness. So would you just ask God, go ahead, out loud, just say, God, change my heart. Break my heart. Go ahead, tell him out loud. Just say, God, use me. Just put it in your own words. Out loud, open your mouth. Just say, God, use me. Pray in the Spirit right now. Just go ahead. Lift up your voice to him. You know how to do this, church. Just lift up your voice. Pray to him. Say, let God put tears in your heart, tears in your eyes. To break my heart, God, for what breaks yours. Lord, I'm serious about this Christian walk. I want you to change me. I want you to, I want me to become what you called me to be become. It's, it's not about me. It's not about my ambitions. Your will, not mine, be done. Your kingdom come, not my kingdom. Your kingdom come in my life. Lord, use me. Don't use somebody else. Use me. Use me. I'm yours, Lord. I surrender. I surrender right now, today, the first Sunday of March, I surrender again. I die to myself. I say, Lord, it's all about you. It's not about me. It's about you. So use me, God, for your glory. Take my fears and, and, and replace them. Minimize them. Give me confidence in you, Holy Spirit. The greater is he that is in me. Train me, equip me, Lord, so I can be confident in sharing my, my one-minute witness, my, my own testimony. Lord, 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 change me.